Hi everyone, and welcome to episode two. After publishing episode one, which was very, very exciting, and then managing to get my podcast onto Spotify, which was actually surprisingly much more straightforward than I had assumed once I figured out where the actual button for this process was. It was really exciting to do that and getting a little notification to say you're on Spotify was sort of a little bit like technological magic. So I'm really glad I did that. I'm really proud of myself for figuring out the technology. So yay me. So yeah, this is episode two and Unlike episode one, which was sort of an introduction plus bonus rant, this episode is just to kind of give everybody a bit of background, a bit of context as to how I actually became a special needs parent and what that process was like a little bit. She was six days late and actually that probably should have given us a clue as to what we were getting ourselves in for. She likes to do things when she is good and ready. There is absolutely no such thing as rushing Queen Melody. I then got to enjoy a day and a half's worth of labour, but then it was followed up very closely by her being placed on my chest, and that was just an incredible moment. I actually felt like I was walking on clouds. There really were no words that I could describe, um, that I could describe that feeling with. It was just, it was absolutely incredible. I was quite nervous because I wasn't sure if if I was going to have that feeling because obviously not everybody does. And she was placed on my chest. I remember looking down at her and she was very warm and wet and a little bit grey, bless her. And I remember turning to the midwife and saying, it feels like having a turkey, like a warm turkey on my chest, which the midwife found quite funny, bless her. She was huge. She was £8.13. Um, and I just thought, wow, I can't, I can't believe I've done this. I have created a life. This is very, very exciting. She wasn't doing well with her breathing, so was taken off to the NICU. That was just a massive crash down to earth. She was born at about half 12 in the morning and she was in the NICU at one o'clock. So we, we'd gone from the you know highest of highs down to kind of this quite devastating situation where doctors were trying to put a cannula in her hand and she was screaming her little face off. But after six days in the NICU, we got to take her home. She was perfect. And I know, I know I'm biased because she's my kid, but to me, she was absolutely perfect. In the first year of her life, I sort of noticed that things weren't quite the same as the other children. But I think that I was just having such a hard time with being a mother and all of the things that came with it. I just sort of thought to myself, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the reason that she's, you know, a bit behind the other children. Maybe I'm not doing as much with her as I should do and one thing and another. My husband was the one who actually really pushed to get her seen by a doctor. I was quite unfazed by her being behind the other children. I remember saying to him, if you're so bothered, you take her. I do everything around these parts. So he did. He took us to the doctors and the doctors gave us a referral. And again, didn't think anything of it really, didn't sort of take him seriously. Then we turned up at um, 
the consultant's office. He was asking us questions about Melody's progress and things that she was able to do, things that she wasn't able to do, any obvious things that we had noticed or um, things that we wanted to talk to him about. And we kind of ran through all of those things. And most of the time he simply said, hmm, I was really thinking that we had wasted um, the doctor's time and that we were sort of in inverted commas hysterical um, first parents and we just sort of made this thing seem a lot worse than it was. Then he asked us about anything that we'd noticed or things that we were concerned about and I said I just in passing said to him that she snored really loudly and he said oh what do you mean and I said oh well she sounds like Darth Vader and she did we used to refer to her as baby Vader um, because she just she snored uh, like a little old man bless her and um, he said mm, that's interesting then he watched her do some things that she would do at home for example when she turned her head she didn't turn to the side she turned really slowly so we used to call her also we used to call her robot baby um so she was baby vader and robot baby we're great parents i know i know again he he found that interesting and i think the moment he said mm, that's interesting was the moment that it kind of became real to me that we might be looking at something genuine, like a genuine problem. Whereas up to that point, I sort of just thought, oh, it's probably nothing and it will be fine and we're worrying for nothing. Off we went home. We were then referred from the hospital paediatrician to the community paediatricians. So we went to see him and we saw him for a number of things and he did lots of referrals. So we had to go off and see um, the physio, the OT, the speech and language therapist. She had to have um, like a brain scan to make sure she wasn't having um, absent seizures. There was a lot of referrals that were done at that time, which we were obviously really grateful for. But it was a really nerve wracking period because we'd sort of gone to the first appointment thinking it was nothing. And after seeing the community paediatrician, we left with a lot of referrals, which obviously we were very, very grateful for. But that was quite heavy because at that point it became more clear to us that actually we probably were, um, we probably, there, there probably was a problem and, and we would probably have quite a bit to deal with in the coming weeks and months. We had absolutely no idea it would be what it ended up being. So over an 18 month period, we um, we saw a lot of different specialists for different things um, and we got lots of things that we needed to do with her at home. We had our first special needs fight for services, which was for speech therapy because there were just literally no speech therapists available. It was going to be, I think it was something like a 20 week wait for an appointment. So we took the decision at the time to um, contact a private speech therapist, which was very, very expensive. I won't, I won't lie, but we decided that we were going to make that investment. And that was an eye-opening experience because we didn't think, we, I suppose we just didn't realise how different she was from the other children until we saw somebody who was a 
professional and that person was able to say well you know this is this is average and you know show us sort of a timeline and she was working way back on that timeline to say oh this is where you know this is where Melody is so I think over the 18 months after we saw the community paediatrician there were lots of there were lots of moments like that where we sort of thought to ourselves this is worse than we thought maybe and then eventually when she was about three and a half four ish we were asked to go for genetics testing i had chatted online with with a number of other parents and they sort of uh, told me to kind of go into the process with an open mind and not to expect an answer because for most families when you have a genetics test you don't necessarily get an answer we had the blood test um they'd found something but didn't necessarily tell us what it was we then had to go my husband and I then had to go for a blood test so that um we could also be checked against um whatever they had found uh, in melody to see whether it was an inherited condition or not and I remember waking up on the morning of that appointment and just feeling like a real dread because I kept thinking how will I cope if it's something that I've given her you know as her mother how would I how will I feel what will I do if the reason she's like this is because of something inside me um and yeah I was I was really dreading that appointment my husband bless him as always was a complete rock so he was holding it together for me um, and Melody was her normal, very exciting and bubbly self. Um, she loves hospitals. She's been to hospital quite a lot in her life. And so for her, going to hospital is not a scary place. It's a really fun place. She loves doctors and she loves nurses. And she thinks that it's all just a really great adventure when she goes there. So she was on top form. And we got to the appointment. We got in there. And the consultant just sort of said, there isn't really any nice way to say this, but, you know, I have to tell you that Melody has this chromosome deletion. So I was sort of thinking to myself, OK, is it like, what is it? Who else has got it? How many other people have got it? Um, and so that's the question I asked. She said, none. She is it. We can't find any record of this deletion in the database and this is obviously a you know pretty significant database so that was a real shock I think that at that point my heart just broke I suppose I think that's the only way to describe it at that point when he said to us that she was the only one I just froze I didn't I didn't know what to do I didn't know what to say it was just like a physical blow you know I I remember him kind of rattling off a lot of information I couldn't necessarily take it in he got to the end of his spiel and then said oh have you got any questions and I just looked at my husband and I, I shook my head because I didn't even know what to ask I didn't I just my brain couldn't 
my brain couldn't come to grips with what he had said. And so I couldn't form any thoughts about it. So I couldn't obviously ask any questions. Also been an incredible support to us throughout that whole process of, of, and she'd also been an incredible support to us um, and just been there for all of the other um, appointments and me and I remember getting in the car and my sister calling me uh, because she knew what we were doing that day and obviously my sister had been just incredible throughout that whole kind of lengthy process of doctors, specialists, referrals, fighting, all of that sort of stuff. She'd just been there for all of it. I told her what happened and she said, that's a kick in the vag, which is why this episode has that title. And to be honest, I thought that was the perfect thing to say because that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I'd been kicked in the vag and I didn't have any better words to explain it or put my point across than that. So she summed it up perfectly and here we are. It was only part of the story though because I think everybody assumed once we had a diagnosis of some description we would have an answer and um, everything would then sort of fall into place. What we found out from the geneticist was that Melody had a random chromosome deletion so there wasn't a reason for it, it was random, it hadn't been inherited and so that's why we referred to it as winning the world's worst lottery because out of 7.2 plus billion people that were on the planet at that time, she was the only one with this genetic deletion. So that was obviously really hard to take in the moment. But going forward, it wasn't any easier to take. We had, I suppose, naively and maybe foolishly assumed that once we had this genetics diagnosis, so we had a bit of paper to prove that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't the same as the other children, that we would be able to get support and, and care and all of those things relatively easily. That's not what happened at all. So we still had to go through all of the other processes and still had to jump through all of the other hurdles. For example, um, we had a multidisciplinary assessment, which is a basically a number of days where you go to hospital and you have to see a raft of specialists for all manner of different things. At the end of the multidisciplinary assessment or MDA, you will be given an overall diagnosis. Now, that overall diagnosis may be one thing or it may be multiple things. So Melody was given the diagnosis of having global developmental delay or GDD as a result of her unique chromosome deletion. She was also given the diagnosis of having a cognitive disability. So for us, we went into that process or as having an NT child and we came out of that process as having a special needs child. But even with the MDA, even with the MDA 
and the diagnosis, we still really struggled to get specific services to support Melody. Specifically, we really struggled with speech and language. We really struggled with occupational therapy. We really struggled with physiotherapy. And once Melody went to school, um, she started at a mainstream school. And once she went to school, there was a real push by most of the specialists to discharge her from services because effectively their argument was she's developmentally delayed. Nothing that we do is going to make that much of a difference here. Her brain has to just catch up. And once her brain catches up, she will be able to do the things that the rest of her peer group is doing. We then pretty much got discharged from all of the other services with the exception of community paediatrics, speech and language therapy and the orthoptics department for Melody's eyes. Once we kind of got her into school, although we had attempted to get an education and healthcare plan, so an EHCP, which is a legal document which has a number of statutory requirements that are placed on the local authority to provide support to the person who is named in that education and healthcare plan so the EHCP although we had asked for the EHCP to be prepared and ready for her so that she would have it when she started school there was a lot of reluctance to do that um, so Melody went to school and we got Melody's EHCP, I think, two, two and a bit years into her starting school. So we got the EHCP um, and that was a real that was a real moment of triumph for me because I had sent hundreds of emails. I had rung so many different specialists um secretaries and PAs and one thing and another I had been up at 4am sending emails I had two lever arch folders of documents um letters or everything everything to do with her doing her admin at one point was almost a full-time job um it was hard going it was really really hard going and over a period of about two and a half or three years we had something like 300 appointments that's a lot of appointments you know that's a lot of um time I was still working full-time and my husband was still away quite a bit so it was a lot it was a lot to do at that time it was a lot to take and when we got the EHCP it was just a massive massive triumph because I sort of felt like all of the stress and struggles and fighting and begging and pleading and everything. I felt like all of that was that it was all worth it, that I had come through that thing and I had managed to get my daughter the thing that most special needs parents have the hardest struggle with getting, which is the EHCP. And I sort of thought to myself at that point that that was the point at which things would start to get easier and life would start to get better and I would be able to worry less about her and start to sort of think about worrying about myself. But the thing that I wasn't prepared for 
was the fact that even with all the work that I'd done to get to this point, even with all the time, the effort, the stress, everything that had gone into that, I still couldn't accept that she was the way she was. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't love her. That's not what I mean. What I mean is I couldn't accept that there was no reason. I kind of felt that I was a very logical person and I believed in science and cause and effect. And so for me, rightly or wrongly, because I couldn't find any obvious cause because science was telling me there was no cause it was random and I just could not accept that I was sure that it was something I had done something I'd something I had done um while she was whilst I was pregnant maybe at the very very early stages maybe when I didn't realize I was pregnant and so I kind of went down this rabbit hole of what ifs um and that was a really stressful period for me and even when I had managed to get to sort of even when I'd managed to pull myself back and stop the what if it was me what if it was something I'd done I found I found that I still couldn't accept it because as I said it felt like winning the world's worst lottery and I hated it. I hated the fact that there was no reason for it. And people would say to me that I should be glad that it isn't worse. And people would say to me that we should be happy that she's happy. And it was very hard to explain to them that living with so many unknowns was very difficult for somebody like me, who I can say without hesitation, I am a perfectionist and a bit of a control freak with those two personality traits confronted with a random act of the universe just really, really didn't go well. And I tried a number of ways to get myself to the point of acceptance in inverted commas because I kind of felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing, that that was almost the special needs parenting holy grail. You know, you you get them, you kind of do all of the fighting and you push, push, push and you suffer, suffer, suffer and you get the EHCP and then you kind of gain enlightenment and you gain acceptance and you kind of live in this happy little bubble existence. Um, and the reality for me was I didn't. And so I found myself becoming more annoyed and angry with myself that I couldn't get to acceptance. And one of the things that I have really worked on over the last six months, so pretty much when lockdown started, I've done a lot of looking inwards. I've done a lot of thinking um, because I haven't necessarily had work as a distraction, although I've been working full time from home around Melody, whilst Melody is doing her normal, I must watch the first five minutes of Frozen on repeat thing, I had time to 
sit and think. And whilst I was sitting and thinking, I looked inward and what I have come to acceptance with is that I will never accept this. And actually that thought I can sit with, I can sit with that thought. I can be content with the thought that I don't accept it and that's okay. That really for me has been a massive, massive turning point has been huge for me. And by looking inwards and being really uh, brutally honest with myself, I know that accepting that I'm never going to accept it and really understanding that my personality just doesn't, that my personality isn't going to allow me to get to that point has been a really great thing. And I found it really, I found it to be really, really positive because actually there is no rule book to any of this. There is nobody to say that I have to accept it and that with acceptance is going to come some miracle situation. It's not that. The reality is I can fully be angry about my daughter being the way she is. I can be upset about it. I can be bitter about it. I can be lots and lots of things about it. But what I can do is separate those negative feelings and thoughts that I have about the fact that she is the way she is. I can separate those negative thoughts and feelings from the love and enjoyment that I have from her. And I think for me, that has been a massive relief because I had definitely convinced myself that if I didn't come to a place of acceptance, that I wouldn't reach the point that other parents seem to get to. I accept that I'm probably never going to get there. And actually that has taken a lot of pressure off me. And I feel so much better about where I am as a mother. I feel a lot better about where we are as a family because I am no longer searching for something that I might not find. And I haven't accepted that she is the way she is. And I haven't accepted that we've won the world's worst lottery. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever come to acceptance with that. But what I have accepted is that I am myself. I have done as much as I could to get my daughter the support and care that she has now. And even though I don't accept the situation, I've done everything in my power to help make this life as good as possible for her. So what I have accepted is that I've tried very hard. And actually, I have started to have some really positive thoughts and feelings around the process even though it was the hardest thing that I have ever ever faced and I genuinely thought at a number of times that I was going to break down completely I didn't going through this has been pretty horrific
it has been some of the hardest, darkest, most miserable times of my life. And I kind of assumed that acceptance would wash all of those feelings away. But I don't think it will. And actually, I don't need it to. What I need to accept is that I have done a lot to get to this point. I need to be proud of how hard I have worked to get her to this point. I need to acknowledge what I have given, what I have sacrificed in order to make this possible. And so for me, even though I don't have acceptance, I have a lot of new, more positive feelings simply because I found a level of gratitude for the mama bear in me. And I know a few special needs parents. And for me, those people are incredible. I have seen those parents go to bat for their children on so many occasions. And I've seen them on their super high moments when you know those days when you get acknowledged by a specialist uh, the school agrees to give you the support that you feel that you you know that you feel your child needs to those really really low moments when you get a diagnosis that you weren't expecting when your child has a really really tough day at school because they are struggling to make friends or your child has had a violent outburst it is it is a roller coaster that you cannot ever ever be prepared for but what you are doing and what you have done is incredible and you should think about that once in a while not just think about all of the hard times and all of the tough things because they'll never go away. I don't I don't think anybody can say as a special needs parent, even looking back on it, I can't I don't know anyone who feels that that all of that has been pushed away to the side. I don't think it ever will. I think those days when I was lying awake in bed worrying about what was going to happen to her, whether she would have friends, whether she would be safe, whether people would take advantage of her. I don't think I will ever get away from all of that. But I have tried really hard to do as much as I can to get her to this point, to get her support and care. And I am proud. And that isn't something I would have said before. So I haven't got acceptance, but what I have got is gratitude for how hard I've worked. And you know what? I really think that all of you who are in the same situation, you know, all of you amazing special needs parents, I, I want you to kind of have a think today about what you've done. And I want you to be proud of that because it's not easy this is the toughest, toughest thing, you know, anyone will ever face in their life. So you've done amazingly well. I know that most of you are 
still fighting for services, for support, for care, for financial assistance. And I know that it is um, relentless, but I'm really, really proud of all of you. And I want all of you to hear that. And I want all of you to take that feeling away, that level of pride, because you have done something incredible and the fight isn't over for you. And it probably isn't over for me either, but we are still making this happen. So that's the story of how I became a special needs parent and how having a slightly slower pace of life with lockdown has helped me to get to a better place with my daughter's diagnosis. It is an acceptance, but it is definitely a better place. What I want to leave all of you with, I want to tell you how proud of all of you I am. I'm very proud of myself and I know how hard I've worked, but I know that there are so many other parents who have had to face so much more So I want to say that I'm really proud of you and I want all of you to also be proud of yourselves because we don't, as special needs parents, give ourselves much credit. But just take a couple minutes today to give yourself some praise for what you've done, for how far you've come. So that is the end of episode two. And I hope that you have a really great day. 